to everybody, Brendan here, coming to you live from Los Angeles, California, the center of entertainment. I'm just out here doing some shows and uh, talking with some peeps. Hopefully you can't hear the traffic out the window. Just wanted to say real quick, on sale uh, right now on Amazon is Cold Call Like a Comedian. Uh, the guy we've got today, Corey Bray, is a thought leader in the world of sales, which is a space that I've had a foot in. I think that comedy and sales have a lot in common, hence I wrote a book about it. That's what Cold Call Like a Comedian is about. Check it out. Uh, there will be a link in the show notes. It is leading its category on Amazon, has a lot of great reviews, and has had uh, hundreds and hundreds of downloads. So please take a look uh, at that. Also, coming out soon is The Power Bible, a book I co-wrote with William Petit about how I got out of being homeless and he got out of drug addiction. Lessons we've learned along the way to develop mastery and control over yourself and influence others. I've applied a lot of these lessons in sales also. The early release, get the first chapter free link to the list you can sign up for will also be in the show notes. Without further ado, everybody, please welcome to the podcast, Corey Bray. The madness continues! Welcome to the Madness Continues podcast where we talk to economists, entrepreneurs, comedians, porn stars, feminists, and people of all kinds. Uh, every day I just try to break down what we're doing, why I'm here, and if I can make sense of this life. Let's get right into it. Uh, Corey Bray, welcome to the Madness Continues podcast. Uh, author of four four books, co-author of four books, including... Well, as of this week, it's going to be five. Next month, it'll be six. So we can Damn, go Damn, brother. Yeah. You are dropping it. Uh, we're talking about, you know, Corey Bray, managing director of Closed Loop. Uh, and, and really, I, I'd say up there, uh, the author of uh, Sales Development, which is what... Um, what got what originally why we connected? I think you 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 were doing a lot of research or different things for this book, and we ended up connecting on LinkedIn. And um, and uh, the book is great; it's fantastic. It's uh, I bought a I bought copies for my entire team when I started uh, uh, as director of North American Sales Dev over at Cheetah Digital, and uh, it's a great book. References Thanks, everything. Man. References everything a sales development rep needs to do, kind of from beginning to end, and uh, and and it really was a great guide for. I mean, the team, just so the listeners aware, the team was a whole bunch of people who had done bits of sales before, but had never done marketing technology, software as a service sales, which is sort of not exactly what the book is completely about, but is 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 a little bit geared toward. I think is that kind of sales, and. They were able to to really understand the job almost from scratch. If I hadn't have been there, I think they could have really more or less figured out how to do the job just from the book sales development. Yeah, man. Well, I'm glad to hear it because that was the point. I think uh, our, our view is that there's there's a lot of companies out there that just have too much to do. And so we said, well, why don't we just open source all of the things that we know into books? And so instead of spending tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars on consultants to come inject energy into your company, you can spend tens of dollars on Amazon and at least lay the foundation and let management work on harder problems than one-on-one basic training. Yeah. And I mean, it's what you say basically just in your LinkedIn, which is you're like, before you spend X, X dollars, 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 dollars on, 
on consulting, how about you spend 20 bucks on the book and just actually buy it and, and figure out a basis for what you're even going for. And I, I, I believe that's way true. Having worked in corporate America for a little while, I can tell that basically the, the, the function that they do is they tend to go for the biggest, like what is the, because I think most corporate people want to be able to turn around to a manage, management or to the board and be like, yeah, look what we did. We brought in the bridge group <laughs> or, or whatever. And you're like, well, they didn't even read a fucking book on the subject first. Yeah. I remember the, the biggest eye-opening moment of my academic career was when I started reading the book before the lecture. And I don't think yeah. I did this until 11th grade or so because I went to public school in Texas and it was pretty easy. You never really had to. But I'd walk into calculus <laughs> class and I'd, I'd read the book the night before the lecture. I'd go to the lecture and I would get it. I would know it. And you'd, but, su- you'd suddenly be like, wow, this actually makes a lot more sense. Yeah, no kidding, man. Because guess what? They put a lot of energy into writing those books to teach people in a way that humans learn and it works. (laughs) I love that. Like this is the, where did this is, this is like the revelation you got in college is you're like, fuck if I actually do the work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, man. Because the challenge was that I was always showing up to class training because all I want to do is play basketball and video games. So I'm sitting there playing basketball and video games. I said, well, I don't really have time to do the pre-reading. I'll just get a lecture and get it. And I did sure, whatever, but it's hard. Oh, yeah, because it's commentary. It's helping you understand the things you're supposed to have read. It's funny, Corey. This is why – this is funny. I, this is really maybe must be the sales dev personality type or something because that – what you just described is exactly what I did in college. For probably the first two years of college, I just showed up and like barely did the readings. I only yeah. did them when I like absolutely had to. And then in my last two years of college, I was like, all right, I'm going to – really focus on this. My goal was like, oh, fuck it, I'm going to graduate cum laude with honors and I'm just going to knock it out of the park academically. And I did. And what I did is I just did the shit that you're supposed to do. <laughs> Shocking. I know. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, it turns out if I actually do the reading and then show up, I know the stuff and I ace the test and the teachers love me. And like, it really wasn't that hard. <laughs> Yeah, it's incredible. And the other thing is there's this there's this concept called the forgetting curve that was it was some research done by this guy named Ebbinghaus back in the 1880s. And what he found is that after 30 days, you only remember 21 percent if you've only had one touch point with the material. But after 24 hours, you only remember something like 40 percent. So the brain just instantly forgets anything that it learned. So anything that you do in a single setting or a single day, people by definition will not remember it. I think that bleeds it right into sales immediately, which is like one of the things that I've I've told my team and I've based sort of my career on, which has been pretty successful, uh, if I do say so myself. <laughs> yeah, um, man, say so. Own that. Know, I know regardless of the listeners' feelings about Donald Trump, one of the sayings that he has that I, I tend to and you can tell he believes this, but one of the, the, the uh sayings that he has that I like is he's like, If you don't toot your own horn, no one else will. And I'm like, nah, there's some truth to that. Like, if you're not walking around, you know, talking about how your successes, I, I doubt anyone else necessarily will. And I think we should all try to strive to have successes so good that other people are happy to talk about them. But there's a lot of noise in this world, and I think it makes sense to mention them. Um, yeah, man. lots but, of noise. What's the other? I, I think it was from the show Billions. He said, anything worth having can't be given, it must be taken. Oh, man, that's. 
Well, it's fun. It's fascinating because we, we could get into the weeds with a lot of this really quickly. The <laughs> former point I was going to make, just uh, really quickly, is uh, um, my one of the things I tell my team and have told my team a lot is consistency of message over time builds consistency of behavior and consistency of message over time builds trust. And it's almost like these a lot of these sales dev reps, especially when they first start, think things like, oh, I'll just send one email. Oh, they didn't respond to the email. I'll send another email with different info. And I'm like, no, just say the same message again. Yeah. Like, send the same message six times before they reply to it. They, you know, it's amazing to me how the learning curve on sales dev, and especially for people who haven't done it, and I, I believe probably a big part of the education you have to do at Closed Loop to executives is for people who have never done this job, it almost doesn't even make sense to them. Like they don't understand you know, the number of times I've been in meetings with people who are from the marketing department and they're like, well, can you do a round of emails and just see who responds? And I'm like, that's not how yeah. it fucking works, man. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know, this isn't, this is me, this is us in the trenches having to fight our way forward every day, you know, and it's not like I can just, it's not like we're just sending out bits of things and people are if i hear the term hand raiser in another meeting i think i'm gonna pull ah. my fucking hair out like that shit drives me totally insane yeah well i grew up fishing you ever go fishing oh of course yeah i grew up in michigan man what do you what you fish for i mean you name it man steelhead bass i mean we were cutthroat i mean we were all over yeah totally Sturgeon. so if you think about if you think about a professional fisherman I just Googled this, so it's not me being smart. A professional fisherman in a 10-hour day will make 2,000 to 3,000 casts. And when they go to the weigh-in, weigh-ins are really fun. I, my parents live near a lake, and they have the weigh-in for this big bass tournament. They, they shut down the Walmart parking lot and turn it into a party. It's an amazing scene. That's a, a, a Walmart parking lot party is a party I want to go to. It, it is a party. So 2,000 to 3,000 casts to catch – Five fish. I mean, that says it right there. And then if they catch a bigger fish, they throw back the pre the previous fish. I mean, this is like, this is the, you know, the idea is it's a numbers game. And it's not just a numbers game, but it's like a, it's like, um, it's like consistency of action. Like the way that I talk about it, um, and I, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear if you agree with this, is uh, it's it's not about a in the fishing analogy i'd say it's not about a cast it's about casts yeah it's not totally. about catching a fish it's about catching fish right. and that that whole you have to look at this as just this is just a drop in the bucket of like lots of calls or emails or anything i do and it's funny sometimes and it actually to hear your response to this would be interesting because um this by the way is like totally not <laughs> Most of the people listening to this podcast are tuned in because they're like, I heard you talk to feminist Judith Taylor, and then I heard you talk to comedian Matt Coff. Now we're talking about business? Like, I don't understand. But um, it's just funny. But Which is why we're talking about fishing now. Yeah. Here we go. Fuck yeah, here we go. But it, it's fascinating to me because like one of the things that I get tripped up on a lot is I've had a number of times when I've worked at organizations where the marketing department wants to uh, conform sales development outreach to brand standards. Which, for the person listening who's not aware of this, basically means that they want everything a sales development rep says over the phone or over an email to sound like their marketing talking points. Which means that there's some language that they very specifically want the sales development rep to use that the marketing department also uses. 
And the number of times that this has come up, and I think this is so, it just, it it's like anathema to like the sales dev process, which is sitting down, calling, emailing. People get into this job because you're, you, you know, you're, you you're you're hungry and you want some something to work. It's like being in a boxing match and having somebody be like, okay, the only four punches you can throw are these ones. Yeah. <laughs> Go. Yeah. And the only four punches you can block are these ones. The other ones you got to take. Ooh, dude, that's, I mean, that's an even better way of putting it. So what do you do? I'm curious, Corey. So in your, you know, at closed loop and in your, in your work publishing, I mean, I'm sure you run into a lot of this kind of thing. I mean, I'm curious, what are the biggest points you see in organizations or even sales dev reps? I know these are two different questions getting in their own way from being successful. Well, yeah, I mean, I think people in sales often get in their in their own way of being successful. And one of the main here's one of the main reasons. And we'll we'll go back to school for a second. Remember, in, in statistics, there's the type one error and the type two error. Yep. Where we either wrongly reject the null hypothesis or we wrongly accept it. Yep. So that that surfaces in sales a lot, where you can do the wrong thing and get a good result. And you can do the right thing and not get a good result. And it drives humans crazy when that happens. I mean, that is like every day with my team, just <laughs> that no one, you could, the, the, the amount of, of outreach you have to do in order to actually figure out if a message or if the, 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 the tactics or, 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 you know, whatever you want to, whatever thing you're doing is actually working because of the thing or not is just enormous. Yeah, that's it. And so, and so then they're sitting there saying, well, 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 Timmy didn't do what we're supposed to do. And he was the top performer yesterday. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's one data point. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so I think, I think that's one of the things I think the other one is, is along the lines of what you said, which is people and companies don't necessarily understand each other's jobs. I was telling my buddy the other day, I think it'd be really fun if you had a TV show and it was people from different departments looking at what their coworkers do and then making fun of that and being like, wait, you spent eight hours doing that? That would be like a, a comedy version of Undercover Boss. Yeah, totally. So you take, the, you take the software engineer and you tell them that the sales development rep scheduled one meeting all day. And they would be like, what the fuck did they spend the other eight hours, nine hours? In sales dev rep's case, 10 hours doing at the office. Exactly. And then you take you take the sales dev rep and you, and you say, hey, this engineer worked for eight hours. And now all the buttons on the screen are blue instead of red. <laughs> and then, and then they, they get into the details behind what they do and everybody learns something. But at the beginning of the show, it's this high tension. What do you do? You don't do anything. Our company's failing because you don't work hard. And then it, and then they they become friends and, and learn what each other does. I think you just came up. I, I should reach out to some of my contacts in uh in the uh you know in the um in Hollywood or whatever and see and pitch them this idea because this is a great format show. You go to True TV and pitch them the idea of uh, it'd be like uh, trading wives or swap wife swap or whatever that TV show is. <laughs> except it would be like, be like career swap. <laughs> you know, like for a week you have to do everything that a coder does. Yeah, totally. And I feel like that would be so funny because there's absolutely going to be jobs at the company that people are like, that was actually easier than I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's crazy. Well, it's a, and then the other, the, the other thing to answer your question, I was talking to this investor that 
has this work with some of her portfolio companies the other day. And she was talking about one of her companies that doesn't have a sales process, doesn't have exit criteria for their stages, doesn't have a playbook. And the CEO basically said that all their customers are different and he's got everything under control because his team knows the industry really well. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I wonder why they're having problems with a, yeah. with, with everything on lockdown like that. Yeah. And I, I basically said, well, if he doesn't believe in sales process and exit criteria, we can't help him because if you, if you don't have a foundation, you can't build a house. Oh my gosh. The, the biggest issue that I ran into at my last uh, position and part of the reason that I think uh, it, ultimately it, it, I ended up leaving, it was constantly frustrating, is that we were dealing with a, a VP of, of sales, a guy who um, obviously has, you know, he's overseeing the whole sales process. He, he, cont- he c- did not, we could not reach extra criteria for stages that he could ever agree on. Within the same meeting, sometimes he would say two different things. And yeah. it was just a constant struggle to be like, and it, it's frustrating. And just so the listener understands, like this, this is really un- important for a sales dev rep. And in sales dev, I should I probably put this in the forward to the podcast. We're talking about early pipeline, cold calls, cold emails, people picking up, developing conversations with prospects who maybe have never even heard of the company before, or what the solution is, and developing those ultimately into entering the pipeline for closing and doing business with and. One of the most frustrating things in the world when you're a sales dev rep is this idea that there's nothing you can do, but people who are interested and who want to move forward with your company, they're not qualified and not in the pipeline. And also, there's nothing you can do to make that happen anymore, even though those two things are true. And yep. it's just it just kills morale on the team completely and it would put me in a frustrating position constantly cuz my team would be looking at me going like well what what should i do to help like this person keeps getting back to me on email they're, they i know that there's a pain i've gotten their pains i've gotten their budget i know that they work with a competitor they're thinking about leaving they're thinking about doing that within the timeline for us like here are the people who have to be in the conversation i've had a meeting with all of them already like what why is this not in the pipeline and it would just be so frustrating because i i would you know, go talk to the the VP of sales and then come back and it would be like, yeah, he doesn't, he just says he doesn't think it's, it's not right. And there's no really good credit. He keeps not giving criteria for it. That would, I mean, just talk about killing an organization. That stuff is just, is just the worst for, for trying to move anything on. Um, Do you see that? You must see that a lot also in your, uh, in your practice. Oh yeah. All the time. So what will happen is the, there's the, VP of sales that is terrified that they're going to lose their job because the CEO promised the board that they were going to hit some number. And then they said, okay, well, I'm going to give that responsibility to the VP of sales. And if they don't hit it, then it's their fault personally. Right. And so then the, the VP of sales says, okay, we've got to hit our number. So I want to know about every deal that could help us get there. So then the reps say, well, how do I fix that problem? I just won't put it in the CRM. So a lot of companies have these shadow CRMs where the reps won't even put anything in there until it's later stage. Yeah, I think <laughs> so, uh, I'm pretty sure you just described the the sales team that I was working at previously. Yeah, yeah. So it, it might look like what you just described, which is they get a meeting, they DQ it, but then at some point, ooh, magically, it's stage four. 
And so it's going to be something that's going to close at some point in the near future. But it keeps the the VP of sales off the back of the salespeople. Oh my God, this is exactly this is actually this is exactly what was going on in the in the previous organization. So what do you so what do you I mean what do you do to like when you come into an organization like that? What's what's your advice? I mean, is it is it open honesty? Is it um, you know do you do you do you lay out some specific uh, points like, look, we don't, you know, let's look at this as an experiment rather than, I guess, let me back up. When I was in that situation, and I guess I'm looking for <laughs> for your expert confirmation of this. Yeah. The the point that I made to the, the, the broader team was I said, look, one, we need specific criteria for moving this on. That That's period. The, 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 the team, my team is super frustrated. They're the tip of the spear. The last thing you want to do is have all your frontline soldiers in a battle being the ones who are most frustrated to get out into the field. You, you want them to continue to be excited. And yep. the only way to do that is by giving them a finish line. And if you keep moving the goalpost, that's never going to happen. One. Two, let's be honest with ourselves and say right now we don't know what's resonating in the marketplace. And the only and if we're honest, we don't really know what our sales goals should be. And if that's the case, let's just be let's just be honest with ourselves and say that we don't know what they should be. We have nothing to base this to base what we should predict on, and uh, and that would relieve a lot of pressure from everybody because I think that's exactly what was going on with the VP of Sales was that he was feeling like his job was about to be on the line, yeah. And and that was that was basically it. I, so I'm curious what your what 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 would you normally recommend in a situation like that? Okay, question for you: Was that company venture backed? It uh, it was private equity. Private equity. Okay. So for all the people that are listening, there's companies that are backed by venture capitalists, private equity firms, and it's it's funding to help the companies grow. And so here's what happens. If Brandon and I have an idea, we go out to the investors and we say, hey, here's an idea. And they say, do you have any traction? We say, yeah, we've got a little bit of traction. They say, okay, if you can get your number to $2 million in sales by the next – by this time next year, come to me and I'll give you $2 million seed round. So like, okay, we're, we'll give you series A, whatever, yeah, yep. $2 million. We'll give you, we'll give you an $8 million series A. So we do it and we go back there and we, we say, Hey, look, we got $2 million in sales. And so they invest $8 million and they say, okay, what we'll do is we'll give you another 20 million. If you can take that $2 million in sales and get it to, I don't know, $10 million in the next 18 months. Hmm. If we don't do that, they don't give us anything. Yep. Because we're no longer on that trajectory that they need to hit their metrics. So what happens is Brandon and I are going to be like, yeah, sure, we can totally hit $10 million in the next 18 months. How do we do it? Let's go back and see how much sales we got to project out and what we have, what our velocity of our deal velocity has to be. Exactly. And we go back and, we, and we're, we're thinking, well, the product's not there yet, right? Mm-hmm. Team's not there yet, right? So let's build some stuff, build some messaging and hope that we put the team together that can get us there. Because if we don't get there, we're dead. Yeah, this really, the thing that's nuts about this to me, Corey, is that this really feels like the tail wagging the dog so hard. It is. And and, and, and it doesn't, it doesn't feel like the best way to grow a business. Like it, it, and and I mean, like maybe this is just kind of endemic of like the, the VC, you know, PE world of of business, um, but it feels like to me like there was a part of me that thought, why don't we 
move like 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 back up and get on something that isn't such like a crazy moving treadmill and try to actually take a breather and figure out what actually works to grow in the space. Then we can start doing strategic takeaways. Everything, because what happened in this situation is that everything collapsed into basically an immediate, like what can we do today that's going to move the needle X amount? What can we do this month? What can we do? Rather than thinking like, let's let's think about a year from now and what this needs to look like. There was no sort of long-term planning. Everything collapsed into like an immediate, yeah. everything needs to get done now sort of mentality, which... It's gonna burn, which burnt out everybody on the sales dev team. So it was like a real challenging situation. That's what it's designed to do. So the only reason venture capital exists is to arbitrage the public equity markets. Yeah, okay. Okay. And so the the system is set up that way. The system by design is for seven to eight companies out of ten to fail. Mm. But so to it, fail in a spectacular fashion. Got it. So this is like a it's it's set up. This is a. They're aiming for, they're getting 10, it's just like Hollywood with movies. If you make 10 films, seven of them are going to bomb, three of them are going to be hits. You have no idea which one is which. So just go ahead and grab them in these different spaces and see what happens, basically. Yeah, exactly. And so I have, and then you get these employees, but the employees don't want to hear that. Yeah. And a lot of employees, unfortunately, don't even know that. So they they go and they say, our company has a great culture. We're a mission-driven organization. Well, I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> if Sequoia Capital invests in you, you are not a mission-driven organization. You are financial arbitrage, period. Yeah. yeah. You're a, you're a mercenary. You're being, paid, yeah. you're being paid as a hired gun, basically. Exactly. And so then middle management comes in and they massage the message and they, they tell people things that they want to hear. But at the end of the day... The goal is for the VCs to go back to their investors who are pension funds, endowments, family offices and say, look, you made 8% in the S&P 500 last year. You made 20% with us. Give us more money. And then the system repeats itself because one out of 10 are huge exits and one out of 100 are massive exits. Mm, I see. All right, this is So I didn't expect this conversation to head this direction at all, by the way. But this is actually really interesting to hear because whenever I would talk about this situation with any type of like management coach or, um, or other sort of mentor or executive I knew, the first question they always asked me was exactly what you just asked. They would say, is this a venture capital backed company? Yep. And and it would head in kind of this ish direction. So nobody's given me quite as thorough of an explanation as you just did. But that's that's very interesting. Let's shift gears because I know your time is limited, but I wanted to talk about your uh, upcoming books, man, and uh, yeah. what, what those are about and and uh, and, and, and kind of give a, a, some details on them. Well, the one that's coming out next week is called Hiring, Onboarding, and Ramping Salespeople. Whoa, buddy. I could have read that about a year and a half ago <laughs> before I had to hire, onboard, and ramp 11 people from scratch. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was good. We hit our we hit our pipeline generation goals contrary to all the bullshit I just I just awesome, <laughs> talked about, but but yeah, man, that's a great people that is a sincere, every single uh, organization I've been involved with in a management capacity and sales dev has had a problem doing that. Yeah. Well, it, it, the challenge is one people don't have structured hiring programs, which is fixable, and so we outline a framework to do that for sales teams. And then the, the main problem is they look at these concepts of onboarding and ramp as early stage boot camps or things that the manager casually does. So we, we outlay this free framework called team where you identify the talent, you engage them in the first couple of days, then you accelerate their performance, you accelerate them along the path to success. And then the M stands for mastery, at which point they start 
the, the process all over again looking for internal promotions. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's a it's a framework that extends across the life cycle of an employee. The thing that we see a lot of organizations do is they build these onboarding programs. And just think of it, right? If you work at a company and somebody new comes in, you can spend all day giving them stuff they don't know and you look like a genius. It's real easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I could talk to you about pool and chess for two hours. And and you're gonna really, like, yeah, oh, you're wow, going to feel it's so really much. therapeutic and self-congratulatory. <laughs> exactly. So that's what it is. So onboarding programs are therapeutic and self-congratulatory because they're real easy to put together. What's hard to put together is giving somebody the minimum amount of knowledge or skill that they need at every specific point along their path for their first, say, year. Mm, mm. That's hard. So that's what we're trying to get out with that. Well, that's a. I'm looking forward to that coming out, man. I'm 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 going to be uh, reading and reviewing that for sure. Um, by the way, I should mention all of Corey's books are all five stars, I believe, on Amazon right now, uh, which is amazing. Um, that uh, that is that is a great. I mean, the fact that you have that, and there, and with not an insignificant number of ratings or reviews either. I mean, a lot of them have. I think you've got almost fifty on sales development, um, and that. And and having all five stars is really kind of impressive, man. So that's um, if I'm going to be self congratulatory and therapeutic for you in this conversation. Um, so so then what's um so beyond ramping teams, what's the book that's coming out uh, in in a few months? Coaching salespeople is going to come out in December or January. Oh man, that's what's the? Can you give us one bit from there because that's a that's another one that I think is really fascinating because I think that from my experience understanding the individual is is really important to understanding how to coach them and a lot of times organizations I've been involved with have this kind of like can tend to sometimes have a really artificial structure for like here's how you need to work with your salespeople here's the the coaching structure we have in the company and a lot of the times I sit there thinking it's almost like they built this for one type of employee Yes. And they didn't even think about the fact that there are, you know, just using the Myers-Briggs, 16 different types of personalities that could be sitting in this chair. Absolutely. So what, what we've designed in coaching salespeople, something that we've been using for years, it's a framework that does prescribe how to coach generally. But I think in chapter two, we talk about you need to understand the personal goals and motivation of the person mm. and coaching to that. So the coach... The COACH acronym, all of our stuff's acronyms, so C-O-A-C-H, identify the challenge and outline your path to success. Those are the first two steps, and it's what a manager does before they go into the conversation. Dude, that, I, that's important. Because they, they, they show up and they're like, hey, Brandon, what do you want to talk about today? And then come up with whatever they're going to say on the fly. Oh my God! This the the amount of I I remember making this not to continue to browbeat about the uh, the previous organization I was involved with, which shall remain nameless. Sure. Uh, in this or in this uh, conversation, but um, one of the challenges we had is I had a team of you know eleven ultimately, and that became very challenging because eleven managing eleven people and trying to coach them in different things is like that that in itself is a forty hour a week job. Yeah. And in addition to that, there's strategic things that I was involved with and, you know, m- handling a handful of other different types of things. And you, you think like, man, it just is so much in order to bring something to, you know, one on one conversations you have with your constituent team. It it requires time and focus to be able to bring it and then present it in a way that's actually motivating and effective to those people. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, man, I uh, we're thirty minutes in. I know that you've got a lot going you know, let me, on. Let me round. Let me round out the coach acronym for fifteen seconds. Yeah, go ahead, do it. Don't leave people hanging. Okay, so then ACHA is create an action plan with the salesperson, and we do that this through asking questions. It's much like a discovery meeting where you get them to come up with the action plan to address the challenge that you came up with. It's kind of like self working magic. Mm, mm. You ask the discovery questions, and they come up with, "Oh yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. Here's what I'm going to do about it." Yep. See consequences. What happens if you don't do that? Don't need to be dire, but there needs to be something that's going to happen if they don't follow the action plan. And then hold accountable is the H. Holding them accountable, coming out of that, having another touch point that keeps momentum along that topic. I, this is great, man. And and yeah, thank you for rounding that out. I'm looking at the cl- clock going like, fuck, I want to be respectful of Corey's time. <laughs> and, you're, and you're like, I don't want to leave everybody hanging on this acronym. Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can't cliffhang the coach acronym. <laughs> Uh, well, hey, man, thank you for taking the time. This is a fun conversation. Um, I'm going to have links to your books in the show notes. And as they come out, I'll have to update this uh, so people can take a look at the uh, at the at the new ones, um, which is exciting. So this will be out probably in the next. You'll probably be hearing this at the end of November on uh, on on your podcast app. So anyway, thank you so much again, Corey, for taking the time and uh, for, you know, for being a great contact and and the conversations we've had on LinkedIn have been fantastic. So uh, don't be a stranger. I hope to see you sooner or later in the world of sales dev and uh, maybe, uh, you know, come to a comedy show sometime, man. We'd love to. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate it. All right. Take it easy. Bye.